Released on Sunday, May 11th, 2014, Mother's Day, in St. Louis, Missouri, This Agile Life, Episode 48, Let the Boom Boom Through. Our exclusive sponsor tonight is CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous deployment made simple. Try CodeShip for free. Setup only takes three minutes at CodeShip.io. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Jason Tice. Hey, John, I have a question for you. What are you working to improve? <laughs> Can we just skip him? Skipping, From now on. Skipping right to uh, <laughs> Amos King. How are you? I'm doing great tonight. I'm really excited to be here with Tice and our other wonderful hosts. Our other wonderful host is Lee McCauley. Hi, guys. I'm excited to be here with all of you as well. I, I assume that was really meant truthfully, Amos. It was. It was. Oh, okay. Even the part about Tice. <laughs> <laughs> he just so, exudes sincerity. <laughs> so we're all excited to be here, but we don't want to improve, which means do we, don't, do we want to learn anything tonight, guys? We want to learn, don't we? We, we didn't say we didn't want to improve. We just said we don't want you to talk to us like a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> oh, or or an aerobics instructor. Oh, I feel the love so much. <laughs> I'll use my calm, soothing yoga voice. <laughs> Do you actually use that voice, like while you're teaching yoga? Uh, a funny story I'll tell you, which is uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, recently, we had an agile event in St. Louis, Missouri. It's called Agile Gravy. It's the first time we ever had an agile event in St. Louis. It was a wild success. They had like 400 people show up, uh, and they had to turn people away. But a good a good colleague of ours who hasn't ever been on the podcast but presented there with me, uh, Matt Phillip, uh, he uh, he came to the session I did, which was uh, we presented the ball flow game, which is a great thing. And he was all amused because I used my slow, methodical voice that I actually I really don't ever use it on the podcast here. And he's like, oh, my gosh, Jason, you were like a different person. Yeah, I didn't know that you had a slow voice, Jason. I have a slow voice. But all I can say is, um, so I, this week, actually, I'm at the, I, I went to the Modern Management Methods Conference, and um, one of the keynotes was given by Dr. Um, Dr. Snowden from the, uh, the Canadian Framework. And, oh, my goodness, it's like he gave his keynote, and I think one of the things we talked about at Lean Coffee the next day was we're going to have to listen to it again and again because he speaks incredibly fast. Plus, he's, he's from across the pond, so he's, his diction's different, and he has different terms. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I will slow down tonight for you guys, okay? That'll be helpful to all of our listeners that listen to the podcast at, like, one and a half or two times speed. They'll actually be able to make out what it is that you're talking about tonight, Jason. Yeah, but see, I think we should approach this like running a marathon. It's like I want to encourage you guys to speed up and go with the flow as opposed to slowing down our progress. I just can't move my mouth that quickly. I'm sure we I, could measure that, right? I can't hear oh. that fast. Yes. So if anyone's interested, if you do come to the Modern Management Methods Conference, but not for discussion tonight, I have 62 pages of notes about metrics, if anyone's interested. So um, lots of great stuff. Um, I'll go easy on Lee tonight, though, because I, um, uh, I know he's just so excited. Great. So our topics tonight are going to be around building a team and team loyalty and the people on a team. And just everything that there is to do and say about teams in general. 
Amos, you, you kind of added these topics in and I guess have had some experiences. I think we've all probably had some of these experiences, but you want to talk a little bit about building team loyalty and why it's important or is it important and what are the downsides, upsides? Wow, you're calling me out first thing. I wasn't really ready for that. So they're your topics. They're, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I said I wanted to talk about them. I didn't mean I had answers. I thought you had it like all prepared in your mind and oh, ready no. to spew um, forth. Do you think Amos wrote talking points, John? Amos doesn't like to plan until the absolute last responsible moment, which is never. It's right now. <laughs> That's kind of a lie. <laughs> we're trying to give him time right now to plan in his head. We're stretching. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, guys. Now you're just distracting. Uh, yeah, I, have, I have games for that. Oh, don't, don't. No games right now. No, we don't have time. <laughs> it's late, and I don't have enough bourbon to get through the night with Tyson games. <laughs> so we're a team, right? We put yeah. we put ourselves together. I believe that we all like each other. Some of us are very uh, jovial with each other, right, Tice? But I feel are a pretty close group, and we we've gotten that way through a mutual excitement for for doing the podcast, for our jobs, where we used to work. I, a lot of us have worked together on teams in the past. So I just wanted to go through, like, how did we end up going from not knowing each other to being close enough that we continue to do this podcast, even though we all work in, in different places now and have kind of moved on from that original point of our life? And what are the good and bad points to to that? Because there are some downsides to having a really tight-knit team. But one of the things is, I think that you have to be a tight-knit team in order to make changes within your organization. Uh, all of us have been agile coaches and try to do agile transformations. But for at least my experience is the change can't come from the top. Even if the top wants the change to happen, it seems like you really have to get the bottom motivated to force the change back up to the top. So you know, I prime the pump. You know, Amos, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in there. As I did mention, it's funny from the, um, that was one of the common things I heard over and over again at the, um, at the, at the, ma the modern management methods conference this week. The big bang change, it doesn't work. You have to have people who come together. And, and I think one thing that's really helped this podcast and I think helps a lot of teams is really having a, a shared vision or a shared understanding of what that, of what, what the group is trying to achieve. This podcast is a little unique because I think each of us kind of has a little different perspective because we're actually we're I think all of us are kind of exploring different things um, in the agile space. But nonetheless, I think the openness of the podcast allows us to get value from contributing our time to that goal. I think there's also some interesting factors around exactly how you build a team because from a leadership perspective, too, because we really want self-organizing teams. We want anybody to be to be able to be the leader of the team at any given moment. And yet at most organizations still will will put some uh, some person as the team lead or the tech lead or possibly as the agile coach at, to play that role. You still need somebody that kind of sets the pace. Or do you guys disagree? No, I think that's fair. I think that has to happen, but I, I hopefully it happens. I would prefer that it happen more organically than just having someone appoint it to a, a position of power, that somebody just kind of naturally fits into that position or the team kind of all agree that, you know, Joe is going to, we're going to kind of follow Joe's cadence. 
And, and when you let it naturally happen, the really crazy thing is, is I think that that actually helps build the team because it's the team coming together to support somebody. And over time, you'll actually see that position change hands if you let it organically grow. Otherwise, it, it kind of forces everybody. And I think that when you choose somebody to be the lead, it oftentimes creates like the sense that this guy's the guy that can make decisions. And then everybody on the team just goes to him all the time instead of what I, I always tell people. Use your brain. If you're coming to me for answers, then I've miscommunicated to you. But do you uh, do you ever have the issue where if you're trying to grow that organic team and kind of let people be the leader when they can, do you ever have like power struggles? People that that want that center of attention kind of a position. I certainly have well, experienced the the case where there's power struggles and uh, undermining of powers and back alley deals and drug deals where people are like exchanging power, uh, I think it, it can be difficult. It's something that uh, you have to deal with in, in circumstances. But And who's going to deal with it when if you have just a, a self-organized team? I think it is. It's quite a difficult thing, I think, to just have some team organically self-organized. There's a, there's a considerable amount of getting to know each other time, feeling each other out time that has to kind of happen until uh, everybody figures out kind of their their position within the wolf pack, right? Who's the alpha male and and who are the submissives and, and all of that needs to kind of figure itself out. Well, you, you have a good point that there are different types of people that make up a, a good close-knit team. You can't have a team full of people who just want to lead because they're all going to fight each other. It doesn't, doesn't work out really well. Jason, what so, do you think? So the thing that I was going to throw out there is this is where, to me, it's I think that in various contexts that, that their organizations feel the need to say there's a leader on the team. Um, you know, Scrum even goes so far as to say there's a Scrum master who's is the leader of the team, but does that with a servant leadership mindset. And by that, they're going to facilitate the growth of the team. And I think, you know, I see a lot of places where the idea of the people take the scrum master role or they take the team lead role and they decide to say, I'm going to tell everyone what to do rather than embracing servant leadership where you're going to help the team move forward and you're going to draw out the expertise of the team working together. I actually had a a conversation with one of the people at our company that kind of does project management as well as sometimes doing a a business dev uh, development kind of a role. And he actually thought that it was um, really useful to have, uh, he, he had not experienced having the, the tech lead be so integrated with the code and being at uh, 50% a real dev that in his experience, those tech leads or those team leads uh, that were kind of managing the team on a day-to-day basis ended up doing more PM types of of kind of jobs and not being integrated with the with the devs quite as much and I find that that would be really tough for me being in in something like that I couldn't manage or or lead a team without being in at least partially in that dev role and a good a good portion you know 50% uh, at least because to me part of that role of building the team and building that loyalty in a team is also providing a good example and pro- and and providing those I like to say habits but uh, others are practices but to me it's just habits on the team and I like being able to do that kind of a of a of a role and letting people kind of play in as they can. So, Lee, uh, Lee, what I wanted to ask with that, 
is where do you feel the product owner falls in there? Because what you're describing is, you know, kind of maybe going back and forth with the business, figuring out what to do. Not all teams have a product owner. Not all teams have a good product owner. And I know from like, you know, teaching product owner classes, one of the things that I'll share I'm not a fan of about the product owner role is that, you know, it says the product owner is the person responsible for what, you know, what the team does. And they're the person responsible for that job. And to me, that almost breaks the agile process because it it introduces a single point of failure. I'm going to jump in on that is that you talk about the person that's responsible and, and this is where, I, I think that we get even when we appoint a leader or appoint anybody to a position is that we already start to make segregations among the team and make finger pointing very easy. Hey, it's his job. Hey, it's his job. When really, I believe that everybody on the team should be a product owner. You should have a lot of pride in your product and you should have ideas and you should bring them forward and you should also push back against some ideas if you have a problem with them. You can't sit there complacent, but how do we build that amongst a team? Because, yes, a lot of times you need to start out with somebody named as kind of a lead. But how do you get that person to lead the team to to grow into a tight-knit group? You know, Amos, I struggle with this one because I really feel like there's – I see both sides of the coin. I see the side of the coin for self-organization and for just allowing a, a leaders to kind of naturally bubble up. But then I also see the side of a coin that an organization would want maybe a main point of contact, not necessarily a single point of contact or people around organizations like to often say a a single neck to choke if something goes wrong or et cetera. So so where do you draw that line, though? Because I see many organizations that come in and they want single points of contact for each little feature and things like that. And then you get like very knowledge siloed people that are like, no, you can't touch this feature or I can't work on yours because they've told me I'm the contact for this one and that's what I need to do. I definitely think that there's a line to be drawn. I think it's a, a rare individual that you can find who can be the leader but can also be comfortable to obsolete themselves or strive to obsolete themselves by empowering the team to self-organize and self-lead so that over time the, the team has less and less reliance on the initial leader and has spread out the responsibility of leadership by everyone having ownership of the team and everyone being willing to lead whenever situationally the need arises for someone to lead without always having to point that finger back to that single individual and say, hey, John's the leader, John's responsible, go attack John, you know. And this is where I have a few theories on how to make that happen. One is I've talked about many times in the podcast is uh, the shit umbrella. And I'm going to keep using that term because people have used it back to me. Uh, you need somebody who's going to protect the rest of the people on the team from everything coming from above to yeah. make sure that they can get their job done and that they feel empowered to make decisions because they're not feeling the repercussions. But that person also has to be able to op- close up that umbrella and let those people shine up whenever the- everything's coming down that's good. That guy needs to get out of the way. Sounds kind of messy. <laughs> well, it is. You it only is. get covered in crap yeah. and you never get to clean it off because whenever the nice stuff's coming down, you get out of the way. It's and, a messy and actually, job. Amos, what I want to say is I like your terminology. Since I have kids, I'm not going to repeat it because it has a bad <laughs> word in it. Yeah. But, Shit but umbrella. What it, 
what it does to note is like because what John mentioned, you know, it got back to that idea of servant leadership, and and it, you know, I'll just say it simply: I, it's hard. It's easy to say, "Hey, I'm in charge. I make all the decisions. I tell you what to do." You know, and 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 you know, I don't respect. I, I you can even do that. In, I've even seen people do that in a completely respectful manner. But it's it, that that's that's an order of magnitude easier than saying I'm going to come and I'm going to work with people and I'm even going to think of it maybe from a systems mindset and I'm going to build a system you know that I'm going to facilitate as the leader that allows the team to work together. That's harder to do, and many people don't want to step up and try. Well, it, 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 you got to create a culture of we, right? We are the team, but at the same time, you also have to create a culture of I. If you're going to be the person that stands up to be that leader, because when the crap comes down and somebody says, whose fault is it? You say it was mine, because as the person, if you really want to be a leader, then it was your responsibility. It was your problem. The people that are working with you, it's your fault. So you can still say we like if somebody asks you, hey, who did this specific piece of code? You can say the team. It was all of us. But if they start saying, well, whose fault is that? Well, it's yours. You're the leader. It was your fault. So what do you guys think about, because that to me sounds a little bit like martyrdom, which many people have said is negative. Um, hero worship. Well, is, is martyrdom where you, you know, you end up staying all night and then you come in the next day and you're like, guys, I stayed all night to fix your problem that you guys made. No, yeah. no, that's heroism. I mean, mar- martyrdom is the idea of sacrificing yourself on behalf of someone else. And, and what I'm really what I'm really wondering, because Amos, the scenario you described, it's it's someone coming from above. So we're saying there's a hierarchy, and really, in my opinion, that's a breakdown because the hierarchy at that point has not embraced the whole team approach as advocated for within Agile. And unfortunately, that is a, that is a fact of life. But is there the other thing to do? There is to say the harder discussion is to have is to say, hey, we're working together as a team. You know, the team. The team takes the criticism and the failure as a group and not resort to martyrdom. So if anything, make leadership that's asking you to say whose fault is it, make them feel uncomfortable by saying it's all our fault. Well, and that's where I said, like, we we made the mistake, but if it's anyone's fault, it would be you as the leader. As long as you're still in that position where you don't have the team built to a point where everyone is leading. But, but what right? I'm saying, Amos... Is- what I'm saying is I would even go to that point. You know, your first statement was fine. As a team, we're in it together, whole team approach. It's all our fault. We take the criticism. But the second half of your state where you then say, well, I'll take it because I'm responsible for the team. I wouldn't go there. I would say, listen, it's and, and, you know, stop the discussion there and say that if there's a penalty or there's the need to do something, we're going to sit and, and resolve it as a team. I think resolving the problem and protecting them from that person up above is completely different. Right? The shit umbrella, right? We don't need all your crap coming down. You need to block out that team so that that team can grow together and be stronger together. Okay, but but one more thing on this then. So, you know, we've been doing a little joke here for a while, and it's it's part of... One day we'll have to explain the improving thing. But I'm wondering if because you as the leader, you shield the team from kind of that feedback. So you're shielding the team from feedback. It is negative. Um, there are some risks. Are you precluding their ability to really kind of learn and you know would you get a different outcome if instead of again the leader stepping up and saying it's my fault you involve the team in that process you make that a whole team discussion and by that you work to motivate and and demonstrate to the entire team the reason why they need to improve or change 
I guess the situation that I'm really talking about is when some when someone uh, in the organization wants to come down and point fingers when they're looking for a person. That I guess is different to me than taking criticism. Sure, and I and I guess what I'm thinking of then, and we'll we'll close this com- this this thread out if you guys want to, is to say that by from a change management perspective, if you engage them and you enable that behavior, so because you know in an agile environment, we're saying that this idea of you know blaming and you know pointing someone out individually is a bad practice. So don't enable the people that need to change to do that behavior instead encourage do something to encourage the better behavior which in this case would be having them understand the need to work within the confines of the whole team approach john i know you got something to say i like the metaphor as a shit umbrella i think that there are times though amos when we need to let a little shit through because to extend the metaphor you know sometimes the shit helps the team grow. So sometimes that team needs to be allowed to deal with some of the shit that comes through. I think that helps bind the team together, possibly. I grew up on a farm. You can call it a manure spreader. We can do that, too. Yeah, yeah. Let some of the the manure through. Let some of the boom boom through. Yeah, but, but John, I appreciate that because that hits on this idea of learning and how do you motivate teams to learn? And, and actually, it's, it's funny because the, le- the improving thing, guys, is going to change the learning. Learning's a better analogy, actually, for it. Unless people really feel pain or even see the big picture. So, hey, I did this simple thing. You know, hey, I break the build every three days. Unless they see the pain and they're involved in that. And I'll admit it's risky because if, you know, some of the times you get the guy that comes in that doesn't get this whole, you know, emotional intelligence thing and just wants to blame someone, that, that can be very damaging to a team. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny that. But you need to let people be involved because that will encourage them to learn and improve. I agree, Jason. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, the good and the bad of having a tight knit team. Uh, but first I would like to say a word about our exclusive sponsor for this Agile Life. CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous deployment made simple. Guys, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to check out CodeShip and and use it, Amos or Lee or, or, or Jason, but I pre, I recently set up my Node.js project out there, and it was easy, it was quick, it was simple. I got my project building, running my tests, deploying real easy, real fast. It's It's just like they say, it's deployment made simple. And I was worried that they wouldn't have some newer technologies like Node.js, but they have it. They've got Ruby. Uh, they've got a ton of stuff. Most major development languages, most databases. They deal with all of the cloud hosting providers. So you, if you want to hook into your Heroku or, uh, or whatever it is you're, you're building and deploying your app to, CodeShip has plugins and, and extensions for doing that. And if you happen to be on some exotic platform, you can... Go ahead and uh, build your own, roll your own integrations. And if you need I, help getting started, the folks at CodeShip will be glad to help you. What do you think, Amos? I uh, used them right after we had them on the show, shortly after they went public, for doing some Ruby out to Heroku. And I thought it was fantastic that it was one less thing that I had to set up. Like, normally I had to do a build box, and then I had to make that build box do this and do that. And they have all that ready. It's already a build box. It runs your tests, and then it deploys your code when it passes. And it was just Fantastic. They're willing so, to help. If, if you needed help, Amos, they would have been there for you. They've got this great blog that you can check out. It's got tons of helpful information. 
out at blog.codeship.io. So guys, check it out. Software development's hard enough. Let CodeShip make continuous deployment simple for you. Check them out today at codeship.io. And of course, tell them that your friends here at This Agile Life sent you. All right, guys, let's get back to our discussion about teams. And there can be some downsides to having really tight-knit teams. I'll tell you guys, I've been kind of a leader of teams for a number of years now. And the first time I ever got a position where, you know, I was now the team lead. Somebody actually called me the team lead. And I was a young, stupid person, time 25, 24, 25 years old. I made a huge number of mistakes. And I've been able to learn a lot since then. But there's, I think there's a lot of things that we can maybe convey to help people with how to deal with tight-knit teams and and the good side of those teams, the bad side. One huge mistake that I made was trying to be friends with everyone. I think, actually, that's the bad thing about a tight-knit team, too, is because you start to become friends with most of the people, and you become really close friends. And then when problems arise between those friends, you let it go, even when you shouldn't. You often, like, push it way past that point that you should let it go. You know, like, guy shows up a couple times, 30 minutes after your meeting, whatever. You know, it happens. Life happens. But when you become really good friends with that guy or girl, and they start showing up every day 30 minutes late, and you let it go and let it go and let it go till it's too far gone, and it starts to become a detriment on the team, too. Amos, um, if I'm a real friend, and and you and I are on the same team, and you start screwing up, let's say you've had too much Jim Beam a couple of nights in a row, and you have a hard time making the 845 stand-up meeting. Isn't it incumbent upon me as, as a friend and and also as a member of the team to say, you're screwing up, knock it off. You need to be here in time for stand-up. This is disrespectful to me. It's disrespectful to the team. Get your butt here on time. I think it is time for you to stand up, but I think that also gets hard for people once they're really good friends because they're afraid of not only like, dealing with them at work, but they're afraid of that friendship loss too. Okay, but let, let's go real life on this because, I mean, late stand-up's one thing. Um, actually, me and I are in an environment where, you know, actually we've been talking about this today with, with just strangers at a conference, was we have a habitual problem where people are three to six minutes late for a meeting. Could be stand-up, could be a retrospective that's held in a different meeting room away from the team's area. And... You know, there's two schools of thought. One is that you make the people who are late feel the pain. So you start on time and you effectively preclude or exclude the people from participating, which then breaks other things because you don't have the information there. Or you effectively enable them to continue to, to have that bad pattern and because you either fill time or you delay the meeting, which sometimes that's wasteful. So what do you do? You're saying the keep the door open and wait for them to come in later, the lock the door strategy, and they're not even allowed in the meeting anymore? Well, it's that, or it's a lot of time, but it's funny. that That's one or the other, and what what normally happens in practice is that people show up late, but when they show up late, what do you do? Do you, um, I know from some of the public sector, I was amazed where we would be in an hour-long meeting, because, you know, meetings, meetings ran the world. We'd have an hour-long meeting, somebody would show up 20 minutes late, and literally, they had what I called a re-meeting. They would redo the meeting from the start. It was cool. So if you have these bad behaviors going on, I guess what I'm trying to get to is how do you change people's natural behavior patterns, Lee? So this is going to segue to you to say, how do you overcome these challenges that are just out there? That's an interesting question because, uh, first off, 
for whatever reason, I haven't had a whole lot of, of problems with people coming late to meetings. Although when I have had those issues, there's usually something deeper behind it. So I did have an issue with someone that was always coming late to our stand-up meetings. And that person was also somebody that didn't really like that particular team for whatever reason. They thought they were being punished for something. It was almost like this was their way of rebelling. And so uh, you have to actually have that conversation, but you have it in a way of, so what's wrong? You know, what, what's going on that's, that's causing you to feel like you need to, you know, not join the team? And it's really, it's put on their plate and, and said, what's, what's the problem going on? But you're also trying to help. And, and you gotta be genuine about it. At least that, that particular time. We, uh, we really wanted to figure out what the, what the guy's problem was. But for the most part, I have also had an instance where someone started to get in this pattern. And then I basically made sure that as we were leaving to go to a retro or to some other meeting, I would, in some cases, not physically touch them, but they were not getting out of it because I was going to essentially escort them to the meeting. And you do that twice and uh, and make them feel like an uh, like an idiot, and they won't do it again. That's true. <laughs> but I pushed I pushed somebody to a meeting in a rolling chair one time. <laughs> they wouldn't get up, and I just grabbed their chair and pushed them. <laughs> There's also See, the issue all over all over corporate America to Jason's point where people in companies and companies in general and departments, they start to tolerate certain behaviors. And one of the most common ones is, is showing up late to a meeting. It screws everybody up. It makes the meeting longer than it has to be, etc. right? It's just something that people learn to tolerate. So then what incentive well, well, do the rest Bob. of the people? He's always late. Yeah, but everybody's late. Well, uh, but that's what I'm saying, though, is that's where it starts. And that's where I think that a really close knit team gets that way is they just say they just it, it, they almost become complacent about it. Oh, that's just the way he is or that's just the way she is. But it starts there, right? It starts with Bob. It starts with Bob always being five minutes late. And then Andy realizes, hey, Bob's always five minutes late. Why do I get here on time? I'm going to be five minutes late. And then the rest of the dominoes fall down. And by the, you know, by the end of the week, you've got the entire company showing up to meetings five minutes late. Isn't there? And then, and then I'm rewriting everybody's code on the team because, <laughs> right. you know, why not? Let's just do whatever we want. Isn't there a term for this behavior? A couple of things. Like in John's scenario that he described, it's funny because if everyone just goes to the meeting five minutes late, the problem will actually solve itself because everyone will just show up late. But we, <laughs> yeah, that's we, all. That's yeah, all. We, we, we know that's not what you meant, John. But to me, this is where, again, if you, if you have embraced lean or agile, you have to say that you're in an environment of trust and everyone's looking out for each other's back. And I think this is really, if you're a member of the team and you see that, you need to, you know, wave the flag and say, hey, listen, you know, if we respect each other and we respect the goal that we're trying to achieve together here, we need to really come together and be at the meeting on time or whatever it is, Amos, you were talking about coding rules. But, you know, it, everyone on the team, not just the team leader, everyone is empowered to wave the flag and say, we need, we need to come together and talk about this. Maybe you need to change the meeting time because of a personal reason, but nonetheless, everyone should feel empowered and enabled to, you know, wave the flag and say, let's talk about this. 
Go ahead, so I, please. So I have to say that, that that's kind of exactly the way we, we try to organize the team so that anybody can wave that flag. And I've seen lots of different team members do it on those occasions. But I also have to say that that's exactly the reason why you need to have somebody that at least those team members feel like, you know, if that person said something to the wrong guy or gal up top, they could get me fired. And you don't have to put a lot of pressure on that person, but you have to make it known from if you're in that there's that leadership role that you're the person that then has to take control of that situation right at the beginning and recognize that it's going to about to happen because the rest of the team may not. They may be in that position. Well, I'm not really, you know, I can't really do anything about this guy. I'm an equal with them. I'm not I'm not above them. And so they don't raise the flag as much. Hopefully they do. But if they don't, you've got to have somebody in there that's that's willing to do it. Somebody needs to raise the flag to the person with the behavior alone first. A lot of people want to raise that flag in a retro first, and you really need to raise it to the individual first. Like, you go talk to them, and make sure that you talk to them or you talk to somebody that, that can make a difference. Don't just talk around that person and beat around the bush because then you're just gossiping and gossiping is a waste of time. Go to somebody who can make the, who can change that behavior, so which I is going to, say, to be that person first. So Amos, I have to disagree on one thing there. I think that there are ways to do it in the team that is actually beneficial to the team because the rest of those team members need to see, you know, that person didn't get away with it. They didn't just start coming for some unknown reason but you know they actually there was actually consequences for that at least in a gentle sort of way hopefully you can do it gently but in a way that happens in front of the whole team hopefully somebody else other than the leader is willing to to do it that way i heard about a director in hollywood once who when he was uh directing a movie maybe it was a producer i can't remember which when the person was directing or producing a movie they always hired one unnecessary person, and there was always kind of an arrangement that that you're a temporary person, you're going to be here for a couple of days, and then I'm going to publicly fire your ass so that I can make a statement to everyone that I'm in charge and people are fireable. You know? yeah, but, but see, I'm going to take wow. that. <laughs> but, okay, but, but going back to servant leadership and really trust, I'm going to take, and our favorite thing to talk about, people and respect for people, this whole idea of leadership through intimidation or leadership through fear, which I, I can't believe I even heard Lee say that. I mean, oh my I did goodness. not say, okay, I, you obviously well, you said you made, what I said. You, you made a comment about, you know, I want to make it clear that this person could say something to someone up there and could get them fired. And I was no, like, no, well, it's, it's, they have to, so... The, the rest, the team has to have somebody that they feel like is kind of the go-to person. Whether they feel like that's a part of the team, hopefully they feel like they're just another dev, but they're kind of a senior dev, you know? Somebody that has been there a while. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a, a someone above them in the hierarchy or anything like that. In fact, hopefully it's not. But it needs to be somebody that they respect. I hope you have one person on your team that's like the counselor. <laughs> like you can talk to them yeah. about anything, be it personal or work, and then you can go talk to that person. About well, it. Say, if, Look, if you, you might need to talk to this guy because he's always late. I we need to make a list of action items because the idea there are different behavior models, and based upon people's behavior models, you can find that counselor persona, um, Amos, that's out there. Uh, so I, I feel like I was misunderstood here. So I'm gonna. 
to try to restate this. Amos um, is out. Sorry, Lee is out to get everybody. Everybody, run! <laughs> Lee, so, I'm going to put you in the Thunderdome with with Tice. Okay. What I really mean is the person that that is named or unnamed that tends to be that leader in the team is probably somebody that the team respects. Even if there's multiple ones on the team, those are people that the team as a whole, everybody on the team respects them for their their technical knowledge or whatever. And if that person says hey, you know, I don't approve or you need to start coming to, to meetings on time or, or make some comment that way. And it doesn't have to be harsh. It doesn't have to be, it can even be in a friendly sort of joking way, depending on the situation. You can get away with doing that and making it work as long as it's somebody that they respect. And you don't have to come down hard, but the whole team hears it. So you only have to say it to one person. You don't have to say it. You don't have to bring every person that starts to have that behavior. You don't have to bring them off to the side and have some personal conference with them because that feels like even more of a a, a personal uh, attack. Well, I think it depends on how you approach that side conference, right? If we have stand-up or whatever, and I say, hey, Lee, after stand-up, I need to talk to you privately. Okay, that, that, <laughs> I just called you out in front of everybody. Especially when your ch- behavior changes afterwards, possibly. But if we're like walking to lunch and it just happens to be the two of us, and I'm like, hey Lee, you've been rewriting John's code like every time he checks in and it's starting to wear on the team. What's going on, man? Like, can we talk about that? I think that that's an okay way to approach them on the side. And that's what I think is, is good the first time. So Amos, I'm, hmm, I have some architecture to discuss with you here. And this is Jason's oh, no. very simple architecture for a <laughs> successful <laughs> team. Thought. <laughs> so real soon, you got to worry. We don't, this is architecture so simple. We don't even need a model. So at the hop, top level, you got the people because that's who does the work. Okay. Below those people, one of the elements that you need to set up in place, which I'm going to take issue with what you just said, you need to have transparency. And so if you have all these little side conversations going on and stuff, I think that kills transparency. If you don't have transparency, it's going to be impossible to establish trust. Okay, so you need to have a layer of trust there. And really, again, if you're not doing things to keep things transparent, the team will start to lose trust. And the other thing that's the core of the foundation that really is needed, and I think goes full, I personally think goes full circle on this, is the team needs to have a shared understanding of a vision for what they're trying to do. Because if you have that vision, that's how you foster trust. I've seen in many teams, the people that are late to stand up are the people that don't understand what's going on, either because they're not engaged, it's not well-defined, whatever. There's lots of different reasons. But unless everyone involved has that vision that motivates them to come to the meetings on time and to, and to follow the rules and the working agreements, you're not going to be there and your, your whole little team is just going to, the architecture is just going to fall apart. Where do you draw that line of, okay, I need to have a personal conversation versus a team conversation? Because I think from my experience of being in the military, the teams in the military, we had, we had a, a line of, hey, I talk to you alone before I talk to you in front of the group a lot. Yeah. Because calling someone out in front of a group, like day one, you don't know what their problems are. Maybe they're going through a bad divorce at home. Maybe their wife just walked out last week or they're, they found out their kid had cancer and they just haven't told anybody yet. And then you call them out in front of everybody. I don't care how nice you are. You're going to ruin the team feeling at that point. 
So, Amos, what I would love, and I've coached this before and, and, and had to work, I mean, it's hard. I'll admit, another hard thing to coach is as a team and through that, that foundation of respect, trust, and transparency in the architecture I just mentioned, basically have the, you have awareness of what the team's expectations are, and you basically create the environment where if someone has a challenge, they'll openly admit it to the team. So, hey, yeah, you know, our stand-up is at 845, and hey, guys, you know, I'm sorry, it's it's because of some stuff going on, it's it's hard for me to make that, you know, I just got custody of my kids, and I got to drop them off at school, so, and if the team hears that, the team should say should then say, hey, since we're working together, can we adjust our stand-up to 9 a.m. to accommodate Jim here, who's got this problem? So, let's use an example of somebody that dozes off during meetings, or working sessions, or pairing, Right. Step one is, like Amos said, a private conversation to ask, are you on any medication? Are you having a medical problem? Are you having personal problems that are making it hard for you to sleep? Why not, before you even go to that, why not, like, you know, give them a jab in the side or something, or, you know, do something to confront the behavior? Yeah, I agree. I'm, I am confronting the behavior, though. I'm having yeah, a conversation. But you're with using the person. different tactics. Um, Pokemon. I, I think I think these can be very personal. So as each person kind of deals with them in different ways, and the situation themselves kind of dictate uh, whether it's going to be a one-on-one or whether you do it in front of a group or something like that, and how you manage that. And so I'm not sure that there are any hard and fast rules. At least for me, I don't have any rules in my head. I just kind of go with what feels right at the time, and I'm I'm right most of the time. I don't screw it up that often. Lee, I just think that... I agree, you don't screw it up that often. I didn't mean to step (laughs) on your joke. I think you owe the person one one courtesy. One courtesy call of, is there anything wrong personally? Like Amos said, right? Then after that, I'm throwing rocks at your head when you fall asleep. Right, right. Let me me be your shoulder. Yeah. And we'll discuss it, and, and, you know, you can just vent if you need to or whatever. But if this continues, then I call you out in front of the team. Because the whole thing that happens here is that sanctioned incompetence that I was alluding to before. The term for this is that sanctioned incompetence, right? If I don't address or if someone on the team doesn't address the fact that someone is falling asleep or that someone is making changes to code uh, without running it through the appropriate process and no one confronts it, no one deals with it, it becomes okay, it becomes okay because we didn't say anything, we didn't do anything. So something and, has to be done. There has to be some actions taken. So I'm going to put a stick in the ground here. I'm going to put I'm, a stick I'm, in your eye. I don't... Fine. I'll, boom. <laughs> <laughs> boom, here comes the big enterprise. Um, hey, hey, Tice, would you like I, to go in the other room and have a personal conversation real quick? <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> No, Amos, I would not like to. And instead, I would like to give you an alternative to avoid that anti-pattern. Because I've just seen... Oh, to me, he that said goes, anti-pattern. He brought out that the goes, word. That goes back to... I've seen one-on-one meetings destroy organizations, you know, because, again, it's that whole culture of secrets. Instead, simple advice. Do the Pandora's box. Put the box in the team area that, you know, everyone can put things in, or I, I've done it with a survey monkey thing before, so it can be online, it can be anonymous. And if people have an issue or they want to confront someone, let them put it in the box. Okay, fill out a card, fill out the survey. Then, 
at the re- if you have a retro or maybe on a case by case basis go and say hey guys there's something in the box that we need to discuss as a team this is what it is and take it from there and do that in a transparent manner maybe there's a discussion to have if you introduce a pandora's box to a team to say team what are the rules for this box so if something goes in this box that we know it's about a specific member of our team how do we want to handle that are you guys okay if we maybe you know have that discussion with that person as a courtesy as you guys are mentioning before we discuss it as a team but again put everything out in the open and let the team be involved in deciding how it works. I like that idea for a way to collect things to discuss in a retrospective, but I don't like calling it Pandora's box. <laughs> because if step, you know the parable... Step, cut a hole in the box. If you know the parable of Pandora's box, you, you'd never open it. Yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, well, in, in a retro context, the guys that came with that game from uh, Tasty Cupcakes, I think they were going for the, it is the surprise, and... If you've never done, if you facilitate retros or you go to retros, if you've never done the Pandora's box, I love to use it because it's a factor of how much the team trusts each other. Because sometimes you'll, especially if you're on the team and like, oh, I wonder what's in the box this week. And well, there's nothing. So, well, what does the team not want to admit because they may not trust the other people they're talking to? It can be a very eye-opening experience. And it's kind of, it's simple. It's easy. And it, to me, it's at least, it's an alternative of going down the road of having a culture of secrets. Why, why is a private conversation a secret? I mean, it is a secret, but it's not a bad secret. It's it's giving someone a courtesy. It's giving someone a wake-up call in a courteous fashion. It's not the fashion where I say, Amos, I need to talk to you after stand-up because you're a dickhead. You know, it's it's giving someone a chance to privately express they're having a problem or, hey, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I screwed up. It's not going to happen again. Thanks for talking to me privately instead of making me feel like a moron in front of the entire team the first time I it happened. And when I've had people in those private conversations say, hey, sorry, I screwed up. I'm like, you know, it's not me. It's the team. You should probably go back and, and tell them. And nine out of ten times, that person goes back and says, hey, team, you know, I, I've been late or every third Monday of the month I get shit face and I don't show up Tuesday until noon. I'm sorry. And the behavior changes. Well, the, and the other one that I want to throw out there too, what's interesting, you know, here we're talking about the, the discussion between the team leader, the person who's offended and then the offender, leave it at that. And it is a function of the team and really the, the, the respect the team has for each other. John and Amos went off to have coffee at Starbucks. Who cares what they talked about and say, it doesn't matter. But it takes a trusting group of people to do that, and all too often what happens is people, they see John and Amos go up to Starbucks, and next thing you know, there's a big rumor. And so I, I guess if you're on a team and, and you guys want to have these discussions, if John and Amos want to go off to Starbucks, Starbucks right. if they want to go off to Starbucks, let them do it. And don't it's none of your business. And it, trust that if it is your business, they'll tell you about it. Exactly. And I... I you know, the military learned a long time ago that calling people out the first time that they do something in front of a huge group doesn't really build team camaraderie. Look, if John and, and Amos want to go to to Starbucks, don't ask, don't tell is fine with me. <laughs> That's right, Lee. You probably don't want to see either. <laughs> um, but like the military learned a long time ago that 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 doesn't really work. Yeah, and, and you know they've been building teams 
for a very long time. And I, I go back to that because, you know, I spent 13 years in the military and I saw what worked. You see a lot of different types of leadership as you move around in the military from the guy that calls people out. All it does is create a culture of fear on that team. And they either are going back after whoever's calling everybody out all the time. And they're just a group that's against that person. That's what they do to you in basic training. And then as soon as it's over, like you don't trust each other anymore either. If everybody's doing that. So okay. that's why I don't like the public calling out. Right. Well, it builds mistrust among team members because everybody starts to walk on eggshells. Well, and going over my talking points here that I just from what I took from my comments, Amos, I think what's important and maybe what I what I seized on a little too soon here is it's looking at the environment. So the discussion between, you know, the person offended and the person doing the offending, that's good. But the key is the environment needs to be able to support that in a respectful manner. And all too often, the environment doesn't. So, again, my request for everyone is to, if you're on a team, trust and respect your team members. And really, if you're not involved, you know, trust that if you need to be involved, they will, um, they'll involve you. But then don't get involved, respect them, and don't spread rumors. Right. And while we've been on here... Coming from Twitter, this kind of falls along your way. Xander Hill said to us on Twitter, care about people. Care about people more than resources. And have some in-real-life hangouts that foster bonding, not just writing code. Like do a podcast. What? Like a podcast. Although it hasn't really helped our relationship, has it, Tice? <laughs> oh. so, so one thing that I just want to throw at there before we move on um and actually it was it was inspired by something john said at the beginning it's kind of funny um you know because john you said you'd, you'd made a lot of mistake when you know with leading teams and just something i thought that was really inspiring and it did come from the uh the modern management methods conference in 2014 here where dr snowden who again as i mentioned did the canavan framework he um he spoke and said a bunch of crazy stuff um but it was it was great some people took issue with it and kind of challenged him you know what has he learned and um and actually David Anderson kind of intercepted a question from everyone in the session, uh, but David Anderson's quote I thought was great because he said that many great achievers, and he was referring to uh, Dr. Snowden in this case, suffer many small failures every day. And by really, you know, doing experiments, experiencing those those failures and learning from them, that is truly how you can how you can be an effective leader and how you can learn throughout your entire life. So, John, I would say you know kudos to you for having stepped up, done leadership things, and really embraced it as a learning opportunity, um, realizing that not everything was perfect, but when things didn't go the way you wanted them to, you learned from it, you learned from it, and you were able to improve. I was also in martial arts for a very long time, and anytime that you're looking up to somebody, remember that this was what my instructor told me. The only reason that you're looking up to them and they have the knowledge that they have is because they've made more mistakes than you. So it's okay to make a mistake. Very good. So we, whose comment is better? Amos's unnamed martial arts instructor or David Anderson? Take a vote. Send us a tweet on Twitter. Let us know whose quote is better. Amos's is competition now, Tyson? Amos's un- unquoted <laughs> martial art quote or uh, the, the quote from from uh, Jason that he got from David Anderson. It's going to help us build a team. Maybe. <laughs> it's a larger team. It, it doesn't matter. We started out with a topic, but we talked for an hour, so you get what you get. Yeah. <laughs> you get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. 
Hey, that's my, you my, know, my kids. You know, if we only had a roadmap to success, we need a roadmap. I'm putting him on mute. I, thank you. <laughs> I prefer the organic conversations. This week's hottest picks. Okay, Lee, you're up first. Okay, so uh, I've had several people just coincidentally recently ask me about, you know, that I'm, they come up and say, I'm, I'm getting kind of interested in artificial intelligence and they know I have a background in artificial intelligence. So they say, well, where, where should I start to learn about this? I didn't really do this in college and I need a, a good place to start. And inevitably I point them to a class that is now offered through Udacity or Udacity. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but this class was actually opened up as a free class taught by Stanford by Peter Norvig and Sebastian Thrun. And if you don't know who these guys are, Peter Norvig actually wrote the book that was the standard for uh, artificial intelligence 101 in college called, uh, I think it was Artificial Intelligence, A Modern Approach. And he wrote that book along with a, with a co-author. And then Sebastian Thrun is the guy who uh, won the DARPA Grand Challenge and the DARPA Urban Challenge and is now working for Google on their Google car, the one that's driving around Stanford without a driver and uh, as the first car to ever be licensed to be street licensed without a driver. So uh, uh, this course is free and takes about three months to get to it. If you get through it, if you, uh, if you spend about six hours a week on it, and it's a, it's a really good course for anybody that wants to, to learn about artificial intelligence all the way from the, the simple stuff to the really cool probabilistic methods that, uh, that won the, the grand challenge. So that's at www.udacity.com, spelled U-D-A-C-I-T-Y dot com, slash course, slash CS271. And we'll have the link in the show notes, of course. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's nice to see these universities making these courses publicly available. I will tell you, though, Lee, I like to pronounce that website, Udacity. <laughs> so... Okay, Jason, what are your picks tonight? Okay, I have 62 pages of them. You ready, Amos? Jeez. Yeah, we're going to we're going to actually cut this out and make it a bonus podcast. Oh, awesome. <laughs> that would be Tice's awesome. hottest picks <laughs> from David Anderson's conference. <laughs> uh, I got four though. Um and actually a few of them were ins- are inspired by modern management methods. But first and foremost, if you are a facilitator or just a team, here's an interesting thing to try. There's an app called Talkometer. It's on the App Store for iOS. It's four ninety nine. You turn it on, and we could do this on the podcast. It gives you metrics and data about how much time each voice it recognizes spends talking in a conversation. So if you're in a team and you're curious to see is everyone speaking in a retrospective or in a planning meeting, or is maybe someone on a podcast talking too much, you could actually get some data here, and it's it's fun. So if you've never tried it, uh, check it out. So it's... um. It's a neat little toy. A couple things other. So that's Talkometer. Demonica the the Grandis has taken uh, Russ Healy's Get Kanban game and has modified it for DevOps. So there is a Get Kanban game now that is inspired for the DevOps community. Uh, it is. I, I had an opportunity to play it at the Modern Management Methods Conference. It's awesome. So check that out. Uh, we'll put the link to where you can find out more. Although I noticed it's sold out online, but um, she sells it through her website. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. A great uh, tool and an opportunity to expose people from the systems community. Not so much the development community into the benefits of Kanban. 
Another cool thing from the conference was uh, Rod Collins has a brand new book about wiki management and how to properly use wikis and other techniques to effectively manage the collective intelligence of your organization. I know Lee and I are in an organization where people seem to hate the wiki, and that's because we're effectively doing it all the wrong way. Um, and this book really tells you how to do it the right way, so fascinating. Um, and, of course, the last thing that I will plug is the Agile Games 2014 conference where yours truly, uh, Lee, and John will be uh, in Boston to uh, have a live podcast as part of the conference on Monday evening, June 2nd, 2014. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, so come check us out at the Agile Games conference. And also a plug for uh, Derek Wade, who will be presenting at the conference. Um, had an opportunity to see Derek uh, in at the uh, Modern Management conference this week, and he showed me his uh, game he's going to present which is a simulation to build out a effective team mental model. And it was really using playing cards, and it's awesome. So it's going to be awesome session. Derek's good doing. We've got a bunch of other awesome sessions, too. So come check us out and check the conference out in June in Boston. Great. Thanks for those picks, Jason. Amos, what are your picks tonight? So I have two picks. One of them is relative to tonight, and it's a blog post that I wrote in 2012, so a little shameless self-promotion, called A Great Cast of Characters. And uh, I basically go through different personality types and what I think builds a really good uh, development team. And then uh, the next thing was kind of a pick that followed on with the artificial intelligence course that Lee was talking about, is uh, a guy wrote... Um, up an article about basically getting a bachelor's in computer science for free. So it's the equivalent of doing a bachelor's by going through all the free online classes offered from intro level all the way up through uh, high level electives. And it's got a lot of stuff in there, artificial intelligence, programming language, translators, introduction to computer science, discrete math. All right. Good picks, Amos. And that leaves me. So my pick tonight, I always like to stick to just one. I've uh, been using, and a couple of other guys at work have been using this as well. It's called Kanbana or Kanbana, depending on your preferred pronunciation. And it's a personal Kanban board that uh, you can use on both your computer, your desktop computer, your laptop, your iPad, your iPhone, etc., and uh, just a nice way to keep yourself organized, if you're so inclined. has uh, a lot of common features that you come to find in traditional or typical electronic Kanban boards. So you may want to check that out at uh, Kanbana.com. Those are our picks tonight, and that is our show for tonight, guys. Thanks for the inspiring conversation. For all of our listeners, please check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes and for all of our past podcast episodes. Thanks for listening, and keep living this Agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.